Welcome, everybody, to Talking Shop. I am Steven Batista, and with me is my handsome Honduran partner in this episode, Carlos Domo. How's it going? Fantastic, man. Thank you for the intro, man. Yeah, man. So uh, this is going to be just shooting the shit. We're going to go over a couple experiences, how it made us feel, how we either succumbed to the pressure and had to go cry about in the corner, or how we actually powered through despite the experience level that we had. And just be honest and and just to, you know peel back the curtain of wartime stories and 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 be a place where people can live vicariously through us in in the sort of oh it happens to everybody type of thing and just be vulnerable as somebody as I look at you as a high level official just being vulnerable and be like hey I didn't get here without the bumps and bruises you know so our first topic what are the moments that that are touchstone moments where you had to you were not le- ready for that level and you either passed it and faked it till you made it or you succumbed and and the pressure got to you and you had to really reflect on that and that became the learning thing yeah so i can remember back uh 2011 i was assigned a pretty big uh high school assignment i think it was the semifinals of the uh, psal triple uh, a division and it had been quite some time where i was in the stadium. In fact, this game took place at MCU Park, and uh, the higher seed was on defense first. What happened? Yeah, the, the, the higher seed. The higher seed. Oh, the, sorry, seed. the higher seed. Got so it, the number it. one seed in the yeah. city was they were um, on defense first, and the pitcher um, I had not seen him during the season, but I heard good things about him that he's you know usually bottom of the zone. What year and what schools are these? 2011. It was. Uh, it was Lehman versus GW. Oh, wow. At MCU. And was, um, was Coach Adam Droz the coach? Yeah, Droz was uh, coach. Shout he, out to Adam Droz, my wrestling, yeah. old school wrestling coach. Yeah, Excellent. yeah. And, uh, and yeah. Coach, uh, coach Adam Droz, Lehman versus GW. That's a good game. That was a good game. One versus four, but there was a little controversy that happened during the season. And that game, Carbone was coaching because Mendel was suspended for oh. illegally recruiting. So GW. And Lehman had not played, but they had a lot of tension. The players at GW did not really care for the Lehman players. Lehman players were kind of cool. Um, but nonetheless, the pitcher was pitching hollow, hollow uh, or bottom of the zone, hollow of the knees. And at that point, I felt it was a little low. So two or three pitches go down there, and I'm balling them. And then I feel it was, you know, the stadium was kind of divided. On the first base side, you had GW. And on the third base side of the field, you had Lehman. And so I felt the pressure because I wasn't calling that pitch. I felt that whole first base side mm. starting to get on me. And it was the first time I felt pressure because it's three umpires. There's nowhere to hide. We're in, you're in a stadium. It's not like I'm going to go run. I have to deal with that situation. And after a while, I said, maybe I'm not in a slot enough to really see where that pitch is going. But they, they, again, I did get a little nervous. It, it rocked me. Did anyone and then I just, was it, or was it just like the pressure of the audience? Oh, it was the pressure of not calling that in the audience. And, you know, something is going terribly wrong here. And so I got to the slot, squatted down, fixed my head height. And then I was able to see, man, that pitch really is a strike. So it made so it, I had to make the adjustments, but at that time, I'm thinking to myself, what is going on? I kind of felt like the heat rising, and it was 
kind of like that first time where, again, I'm handling the, the year before I worked the B championship, same stadium, but again, not so many people. But with that tension between the teams, it really got me to a nervous state. Mm. So by taking a step back, readjusting, taking that front foot in closer, fixing, correcting my head height, I was able to see that. And once I called it once, got no pushback, called it again and again and again. But it was one of the, it was just one of those moments where, you know, you hear, I mean, we talked about this on the previous episode, you know, growing up and, and officiating in, in the Bronx, you know, and a lot of it is in, in the communities that we serve, especially growing up, the spectators really get into it. It's, it's almost like it's a professional game. Yeah. So if they feel you're missing a pitch. Oh, they're going to let you know, you know, if they feel you're butchering the game, you know, and I say this all the time when I'm joking, they'll, they'll call you all kinds of stuff, like stuff that I heard during the game is umpire, do it as an asesino. And you're, you're butchering the game in their mind. So if you don't make that adjustment, they're going to get on you all game. And, say that in and English for our uh, English people. You're, they're saying that you're an assassinator and you are, you're butchering <laughs> the game. And so, you know, it's and like, they say with it's, the passion, it's so you know? much harsher in Spanish, man. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Asesino. And you feel it from the stomach, like, oh, gosh. I'm like, really? Yeah. So, um, you so, make the, choices you know, at that moment, too, like to how much you give attention to it, too. Or absolutely. You don't want to uh, give into it because then it's going to make it worse for you. Absolutely. And so that's, you had to, had to make a decision because at that moment, it's like, I mean, it, this light couldn't shine any brighter on the guy calling balls and strikes. And that's the thing. You know, I've always said umpires uh, are the number one villain of all officiating, uh, all sports officiating. Oh, without and so, a doubt. Yeah. Without so doubt. so that moment really taught me, hey, take a step back. And you, and the other thing is you can't, you, you said, you can't let it rock you because if it rocks you, the game is going to go to a whole nother direction. So I settled down and, and learned that, hey, taking a step back, readjusting in the game does really help and, and kind of tune them out the best you can and focusing on an area where, for us in that moment, where is that ball coming in and using proper uh, mechanics, you know, proper use of eyes, as you know, one of my associations and, and trainers say, you know, proper use of eyes and track that ball all the way in. And it just gives you a different perspective. You feel like you made the adjustments on the fly and you came through? Absolutely. And, you know, um, head height is important it's for those who are umpires. That's so important and, and, and proper use of eyes, tracking that ball all the way. You know, in the beginning, in the beginning, beginning, when I started this umpiring um, advocation, it was that the, as soon as the ball would hit the glove, I'm calling strikes. Or is it kind of in the air to the ball, to the glove? I'm calling strikes. Oh, I know. And that, that it, you're anticipating instead of letting it happen. Exactly. And so that was another thing that I had to learn. Um, How long they would you say, say specifically? Because I, I, it's hard for people who are listening that don't know what we're talking about as far as specific to calling balls and strikes. But for fellow umpires listening, they know what we're talking about. For you, how long in your career did you get to the point of timing where you you allowed it to register and you could respond instead of react well i have to say it, it happened later on in my career because i had to invest and go to camps and i started learning the, these terms 
my training early on was was somewhat limited. One of the, one of the things that it took was you know calling calling the strikes because once you call a strike, you can't take it back. Oh no, it's a ball. No, too late. You got to live and die on that call. So after going to training and understanding you know, what it took for timing, right? Because that was a whole new term for me. But I guess the way we can, we can say it is when a pitcher starts the motion and he, he releases the ball and when the ball hits the mitt, that's at that moment was where I was calling strikes. Way too quick. Way too quick. As opposed to letting the ball travel, he catch it. And then I want to make sure I can see the tag on the glove and then I can, okay, that gives me enough time to register. Was it a strike? Was it a strike? Yes, it was a strike. Then come up with the strike call. Mm -hmm. But it was something that I learned later on um, when I first went to a camp and they started cleaning up my mechanics. I measure it uh, as a one and a half Mississippis after the ball hits the glove. <laughs> I like that. And uh, I like that. Yeah. So no matter how much training you, you get, you're going to have to be faced with something that wasn't, you're not prepared for it until it happens. And the decision making after that is can experience is going to help, but sometimes your instincts have to kick in, and then you get to really uh, have some sort of self awareness. And, and and I think it's important for everybody to have on any trade that they do. Where one thing that umpiring should be seen as is uh, you can do rec ball and you can stay at that level, and you could do NCAA and you can stay at that level, and you could be good at both without having the expectations of this uh, as the same umpire, you know? And that's not fair that everybody has the same, uh, the expectation of a strike zone for, uh, uh, and I'll get into it when we talk about ejections, uh, low-level varsity softball game. I tell coaches all the time, I'm like, you want an MLB strike zone for a non-MLB type level of game? It's not an insult to anybody. It's just analytics. There has to be a measure of what I think they can do based on their ability versus what is the actual strike zone and other things that are beyond the rules in that aspect. So understanding head height for you and I, different body types, I asked that question about how long it took you to get comfortable with seeing the ball all the way through and positioning and also having the the fullness of the, of the scope of what just happened with that pitch and the timing after. And it's funny that you said if you if you have a certain cadence and I happened to me at GW, I umpired at the plate. It was a Monroe tournament. I had GW, which I know you had a game today too. I had GW versus um John Jay. <laughs> Second pitch in <laughs> GW's home. They won the coin toss. And it was at GW. It was a great low away strike. And I was just was in the position. On a future episode with Curtis, I brought where we talk about the strike zone. I actually mentioned, is there a time where it's too late to make your call and you just have to commit to calling it a ball? Because if you break your cadence, it might be worse for you down the line. That uncertainty can make a perception for you that would make it worse for you. And he said, no, you should always make the call, even if you're late to it, and just take it as a, a lesson and get right with it. And I understood that, as he said it, with respect to somebody like us, but for a newer umpire, I think that they just have to like kind of swallow it because unless you have that rep, the coach is not going to give you that time of day and they might take advantage of it and might want to pressure you in giving them a, a measure of uncertainty. Because when that pitch happened, I told, I told, I looked over to him like, oh, I was out of position. And the next pitch, he ended up flying out. So it was cool. I, nothing happened. It was inconsequential. But I looked at him, I was like, make sure he throws that again. I, 
to Nick Carbone. I was like, please, I don't want to lose that pitch. I was excellent. And these are not trial by fire moments to me because I have that reputation. Everybody knows we're on first name basis with these coaches. But yeah, one of my big trial by fire stories was I was not more than four years into rest, uh, to getting to a varsity level of wrestling officiating. And it was a Long Island state qualifier. So the, for everybody listening, the winners go to the state tournament. And it was, uh, I don't know, somewhere in Suffolk County. And I don't know how this happened, but I got thrusted into the heavyweight final. And it was, to this day, still one of the more intense matches, even at any level, that I would have been experientially. One, I forgot the two teams. It, it's sort of like a traumatic situation in that way where I just, after the match, if you asked me who the two teams were, I probably would have forgot. The one wrestler, uh, let's go wrestler Green, he was dominating, took the kid down and was about to pin him. And it was time was ticking off the clock and he had him in a way it's hard to describe for people don't understand wrestling but the offensive wrestler green had him in a cradle but he he had part of his chin so he only, it wasn't a connected cradle but the legs were he had one leg and he was using basically his strength and holding his chin it was awesome mm. <laughs> and he was he was in criteria but he wasn't being pinned he had his five count wrenched his chin in a way where it was a penalty like a neck crank almost Mm-hmm. And I had to blow the whistle, and I was so scared to do that because he was so close to being pinned. And mind you, for everybody listening, usually in these tournaments, they break down all the mats, and finals are held on one mat, and everybody's watching. And heavyweights are almost always the last. So I got everybody on me. And George is my assistant. God bless it. George Cabrales. Sometimes I forget he's there because I I, I couldn't see him. Brunch. <laughs> 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 I love you, George. <laughs> so anyway, I restart. There's like less than 30 seconds left. And the kid does it again. Like he gets him into the same position a little bit differently. But same thing where he's got the chin and he does it again. After getting, I don't know if he got all his points, but he does it again, pulled him off and I have to give the penalty. So going to the second period, he's got maybe 10 points. And this kid's got two on penalties. So now guess what happens? The other kid starts coming back. Oh, before that, at the end of the period, the kid comes up to me. He's like, what am I doing? I'm just here to wrestle. I'm just here to wrestle. And I'm feeling the pressure. Everybody's watching. And George is, you know, I, I got to look down, but I'm looking at him eye to eye. And <laughs> and and, <laughs> and, and but he's giving me reassuring eyes. He's really, really helping through without saying anything. And I know I'm joking with, but George is somebody like you, a very deeply held mentor who's helped me not only as an official, as a man. And he, in that moment, was just giving me confidence. I'm doing the right thing. These are hard calls to make, but he made illegal neck cranks, essentially. So the other kid starts coming back, and it's it's getting close in score. Nothing happens after that, except it's just a hotly contested match going forward. And it was won by two or one points by the guy who was originally winning. So those penalty points would have mattered. As soon as the match concludes, I run off and I find a corridor, and I I legit melt down and start crying. And George comes, and I, I, kinda, I knew I did the right thing. I, I knew I made the right calls, and it wasn't a matter of, like, doubting myself. It was just a matter of pressure and not having going through that. And it got to me, and it was reassuring, but it was also, wow, you can do it, but also you didn't know how intense it could be. And it was something that, like you said, you got to make the adjustments or you got to trust your calls. The only thing that's going to really do that is preparation, finding the right mentors, going to camps and, and meetings and 
all manners of YouTube videos and watching the sports that you officiate. I mean, that's easy, you know, and like I, I do, put the rule book at the top of the toilet and every time you got to kill 20 minutes, <laughs> kill a couple of chapters. <laughs> that, that's funny. Um, so, so what did you learn and has that happened again since that moment? Because that's, you know, you always got to build. No situations are happening again. So fast forward, you know, some time and you're back in that situation or have you been in that situation? I would say pressure wise, yes. But never have I felt so much inner turmoil and holding on for dear life. I was holding on. I don't know if there was an overtime I could have made. It. Mm -hmm. Really, I was, re I was so scared that it was going to go into overtime and the, and the other guy was going to win. And those points that I pulled him off of were going to be something that were consequential. You know, it was two points. So pressure has happened again in, in high-level situations. But uh, and I, I've always felt in control. And that was the, the highest moment that I've not felt or I was holding on for dear life with it. But otherwise, I, I'm pretty goddamn zen. And I, and I try hard and I surround myself with the people to validate me in the right ways and, and analyze me and criticize me when need be. And they know that their investment in that is worth it, right? I'm a pro, I'm a student of you. So I hope I make it worth it. Yeah. You know, um, last episode, we talked about situations and I mentioned that Alan Warden says he has his playoff officials. He has really, really good officials and he has playoff, playoff officials and the difference between the two is that when the pressure moments come, they're less likely to break because they've been in that situation over and over and over. So let me paint a picture for you to think about and start thinking about. This is actually from the uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People um, visualization. So here's what I'm going to visualize for you. I have that book like somewhere to, <laughs> over there. So get into visualization because oh, here's 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 your picture I want to paint go for you. Go you're in the Bob Monroe Ross. tournament. Let's go, Bob Ross. You're you're in the Monroe tournament. Yes. You're working the finals on the dish. You have GW and Monroe at Monroe, very intimate place. You have fans from the community we talked about, and they're gonna give you the business. The Dominican Republic. And PR. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, really, it's, it's PR versus DR, right? And now depends on the time of day. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, 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 Either or yeah, no, it's yeah, going right. to be packed. Yes, it's it's going to be packed. packed. It's going to be packed. And, and you have a one, one game and now you're extra innings. Where and, am I? Am and I you're, the you're on a dish. You're on a yeah. dish. And, you know, let's say you have a runner on third with a three, two count. You got to be locked. And then, you have both teams and spectators, every all of that. You don't have to answer this now, but start thinking about it because, you know, that situation can happen this year. And you're going to need to know how to, you know, whether good or bad, whether pitch, you you know, whether you call it a strike, if it was a strike or ball, you're going to have to live. But for me, you got to want that. Case in point, oh, I had a. Uh, I had I did have Monroe today and, and early up early on it was Monroe and, and uh Columbus and Columbus was up, but it was kind of seesaw in the beginning. But when it was real close and the pressure moments was there, I'm saying to myself, Oh man, this is what I want. This I need this. I most I don't know how most umpires are handling, and again, it's early in the tournament, but you start building yourself up because those moments are gonna come up. And you could be in the semifinals, which puts the team to the finals, or you could be in the finals, but you got to want those moments. 
you know, going back to what I answered and described earlier, anytime I have a moment like that, where I'm in the stadium and, and two highly contested teams, like I want that. Back then, I was trying to navigate how to get through it. So there was some nerves. Now I'm reversing it. No, I want this. This is what I wanted because you don't get those moments all the time. So you're going to, you know, if you fail in that moment, again, we need that for growth. Either way, I want that moment because that is a huge growth opportunity. And the more you do it over and over and over, the more you'll get used to it and you're going to be locked in at the moments that you need to be locked in. So just want to share that. For sure. And I think you explained uh, exactly what you were trying to ask me about, like if this happened again. And part of the reason why it's that pressure or like I said, the pressures will continue to happen. I will force it to happen because I want to grow. And you can't grow without it. But that sort of uh, panic and holding it tight, it hasn't happened because now I've built myself up to be in the position of want it, like you said. And I, I want all the smoke. And I want to be in every high-level position that I could be in. And somebody like you and I and Leon and other officials, not many, though. There's a difference between knowing you want it and wanting it because you want to do right by yourself and the craft and the trade and uh, and shift the narrative too in a way, sort of like, I'm not this unnecessary evil that umpires have seen, like you said before, of all the sports. It has such a stereotype of, you know, we're, we're shitheads that can't take criticism. And, and part of that is self-induced. And a lot of that is because it's high-level judgment situations that a strike and ball calls don't strike and ball calls are not in every sport. That is a constant part of the game. That is constantly a judgment call. It and is. It, and it impacts the game in ways that other sports don't goals are goals. And baskets are baskets. You can baskets, see the baskets. ball go in yeah. a touchdown. They can see the ball yeah. cross the, the finish that the end zone. Yeah. And you're right. It's, it's very judgmental subject. And, you know, when it's like those parents at times when they have little Tommy who's been pitching and dominating in their local league, and then all of a sudden they're in a better league. And, you know, those pitches for little Tommy he get nervous because they feel the pressure as well. And then, you know, they think because most people can read height, right? From a distance, I can read height, but I can't read whether that ball was inside or outside. I can't. Only thing I have from a distance is, hey, how much did that glove move? Maybe that gives me an idea. I think it's a strike. It looks like a strike, but I have no idea where the catcher is set up. Yeah, you know? but your knowledge of the game has allowed you to know that you don't have that knowledge. Other people think they do because they're ignorant to it, and they they think from the fan's lens. I was just at the Yankee game yesterday. Not to break my hand, patting himself on the back, one of my favorite wrestling quotes. I can anticipate what a pitcher will do or what, you know, the, the, the sort of sequences of, of events from viewing, having that perspective for years. But also in knowing you can't see that from here and understanding the, the verbose nature of being so sure from such a distance is it's not somebody who's ever going to try to give respect to what it takes to be good at officiating. They're just going to they're just going to have an opinion. And that's cool. But don't act like it's an informed one. And at the end of the day, kind of respect blue in some form. Not on every level and not at every blue, but at least in a general back of your head knowledge that maybe some of these guys took the time to be better than others. And yeah, I think absolutely. that's, you know, with this podcast, I'm trying to provide that platform to give people like somebody who 
I value myself and positioning my reputation to be good. And I look up to you and Leon. And when I step on the field, I'm not necessarily evil. So it's good to hear how to work through it too. And we're going to get to ejections. It's something that I think that a lot of non-umpires and people who just view the sport from the perspective that I was just talking about, where their judgment is contentious on a results that of favoritism versus we have to be objective. Like it's, it's, it's just impossible. You can't do surgery on somebody, you know, in that type of way. Obviously ejections is a big part of umpiring and it's a big war stories. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about we were talking about like a trial by fire? Yeah. So one, one situation that happened last year, um, as we're continuing to develop and work higher game, higher uh, levels, we tend to, you know, work three man. So it was one situation where we had run on second and third, uh, one out. Uh, the U three was on the line, and um, real quick, U three is third base umpire. Third base umpire, and we say U three and U one because they are they're usually in and out of the field depending on situations. Mm -hmm. So in this situation, U three, uh, third base umpire was on the line. Um, and again, it's our coordinators wants to do things a little bit different. So he was inside the line and it was a ball hit down the line. Now, this is something we learned now to pregame, but a ball was hit down the line in his area beyond the base. It's him. But it was such a liner that he had to run or dive out of the way. So he dove inward and turned his back so he didn't get hit with the ball. So now he didn't he had no clue where the ball went. And I have to keep my eyes. I'm on the plate. I keep my eyes on that ball. So it wasn't foggy. He, it it wasn't. <laughs> it was dark. Like yeah, no, not, no, 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 no. It wasn't foggy. It was uh, dark, but nah, we shot. had lights. Yeah. So he turned and gave me this look, deer in headlights, eyes are wide open. That told me I got to make a call. And I saw the boys being clearly foul. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, the team that it affected, they were down two runs. This would have tied the game. So when he looked at me and I got the information, I said, foul. Of course, the, the team that affected, he wasn't a happy camper. And uh, the coach, um, he he knows three men. And he said, mm, I was gonna Carlos, ask, I was gonna ask yeah, that. he says, Carlos, that is not your call. And I said, initially, you're right. But when my partner is out of he can't, when he doesn't see it because he has to get out of it to protect himself, he's gonna look at me and tell and he's telling me it's your call. And since it's my call, because he didn't see because if he doesn't, if my partner doesn't make a call, who makes a call? What does the runners do? They don't know what to do, they're confused. If the ball is fair, they're running. If it's foul, they're stopping. So I have to make that call. This mm -hmm. is my second decision. I have to make the call, call the foul. So here's the, here's the thing, and here's how I would have taken care of this before. Um, and it's a learning piece, right? And this is something now we pregame. So wait, wait, real quick, guys, is any of this in the rules? Not exactly. The, so there are different would you manuals. Say it's beyond the rules. There, that's kind of beyond <laughs> the rules, except you have the CCA manual. So of that's, course, but I'm yeah. talking about that reading of, you know, almost by osmosis that you third base umpire, you're yeah. U three. You had yeah. to read his what he was saying and and, and understand that oh I I have to make a decision right because I knew he didn't make a call because he didn't see it 
So it's not in the rule book, right? So yes, that's beyond the rules. That's you. You are absolutely right with that. It's beyond the rules. So trademark. He deferred it to me, mm-hmm. in other words, because he's not going to scream, "Girl, I didn't see it," because <laughs> the whole crowd will go crazy. Mm. No, and for so, people who are not seeing us, yeah, I mean, just humans take verbal uh, verbal cues as much as they take visual ones, and mm-hmm. you learn. And it comes with pre-match. It comes with pre-match or pre-game. It comes with all that. Essentially, preparation. Preparation plus experience and instinct, you're going to prevail. Right. And you did, I'm sure. i sure. Right? Like That explanation yeah. to the coach is pretty, it's pretty foolproof. You were honest. So, yeah, it was honest. But here's what happened. And this is where it became a learning piece. Um, so the coach, you know, after I caught foul, course i felt some heat because the home the team they actually were the home team they wanted those runs so i i took a little bit of that and so this is why i lot the coach said can i talk to your partner and he looked at me like yeah let him talk to me and that's what i would have done differently and there's different difference of opinions because i've talked to so i see here's here's the thing right unspoken rule unwritten rule beyond the rules not who made the call me why is he going to him and so i allowed him to do that in fact we're gonna this is gonna come up in another hey, just, topic, just another. for people listening just what carlos is saying is that in it, while initially that is not his call as far as positioning and who gets what as an umpire but because of the compromising position the third base umpire was in he has to make a call that does not make it an appealable thing where this coach can go over there and negotiate or even beyond that, get some sort of uh, closure. He has to deal with it. You gave him the explanation. And what is the conversation with that third base umpire going to do? Knowing you and anticipating your response, whether I'm right or wrong, I think you are saying, it's not that I wasn't confident in my call. Is that the situation gave it? So maybe you didn't just be like, no. This is my call. There's no conversation to be had. That's an, that's all the explanation that's necessary. Nothing more to do. Am I right or wrong? So certain levels, certain leagues, yes. uh, this yes. was a high-profile league. So you kind of got to give them some a little more rope, right? Yeah, you give them a little more rope. So here's, here's – there was a, several things that happened. So I always feel that when you go to a place where people are not familiar with you, they're going to mm. test you. And it was the first time I was there. So one of the things he said was when he asked me, can he talk to my partner? I said, my partner said, yeah, let him. And then he got to my partner. He says, Carlos, you come here. And I said, "Uh uh-uh, you come here. I'm not going there. You come here if you got to talk to me. So fast forward learning. What did I learn? I should have said, hey, coach, come talk to me. I'm the calling official. And then because I made that call, my partner can talk to him later. Right. I'll talk to him in between the innings because my partner told me eventually he 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 knew he kicked the call based on his positioning and he wanted the coach to get his due, which is great. Absolutely. But do that later. And then what I would have done after the game was I would have ripped him up because he could have been in a better position. He could have turned and rotated and kept his eye on the ball. So let me deal with I wasn't going to deal with him on the field. I'll deal with him on the post game. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. But. I should have had the coach say, I said, hey, come talk to me. I'm the calling official. I made the decision to come, to, come talk to me. 
And so now in a situation like that, we talk about it. Hey, you know, this happens, you know, and again, it's just one of those things we just never thought about. We never pregamed about because we never had that situation. But it's one of those things that are, you know, beyond the rules. And I knew that if he didn't see it, right, it's his call first. If he didn't see it, you know, decisions got to be made, man. I got somebody's got to make a decision, and it's me because I have the I can see it straight down that line. And normally you know? on the two man rotation, that would be a call anyway. Yeah, because you'll be inside, but yeah. in three man in that situation, he's he on that, line. He has the other line. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's that's showing up. I had some situation at the single A championship game, which if everybody wants to listen, it's on the Leon episode. So go for that. You just gotta you gotta you gotta show up for your partner and. Coaches will ultimately understand the right call made. And if you explain to them in an honest and earnest way and telling them, listen, man, I had to make a decision. Like you said, you you were in a new environment. You didn't have that rep. You would have allowed for you to make the decision and then that, the guy who fucked up to go talk to the coach. And maybe they have a relationship. And that happens. You know, you take advantage of a relationship, you know, uh, build on that. If you have a good relationship with a coach, it's not only because you're a nice guy. It's mostly because they can count on you and they want to count on you. You want to count on them where you use each other. I have coaches coming up on the podcast that I'm going to interview and uh, the interview process is what are things that we both don't know about each other and, and how can the experience of knowing a, a situation be more helpful than knowing the rules and proper protocol. So in, certain situations and I'll get to that with injections you your environment can be more important to to figure out than how to how what is what what is what do I have to do by the book or what should I do because I'm in Cortona Park in the Bronx and I got a bunch of unruly you know rival fans and it's not even the teams that are doing it, it's fans and how do I manage this and going through that it takes experience and and counting on partners and yeah you got to at the end of the game, go to your partner and be like, hey, listen, man, <laughs> I understand you have to be Keanu Reeves in that moment, but you could still maybe turned into the direction of looking at the ball, going past you and figure out where it landed. I mean, you're far up the line if you're still, if you're in deep sea, right? Which he was. No, he was, on the line. This, is, this is second and third. He's oh. you three. He's on the line. Yeah. So I mean, and he's inside. Oh, sorry. I, yeah. Yes. Yes, you I'm won. Thinking, I'm thinking deep sea for 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 two men, but I mean just in, in, with three men staying on the lines and be, right. being up there, basically. Well, not too far because remember you have a run on second on. and third. If there's a back pick or a pick off, he has to be close enough to see, you know, to be able to see he's, get that he's window. In the dirt. He's in the dirt. Yes, yeah. So he has to be. So he's he's his right leg is on that line. Left leg is in. So he has to make sure to get into like a wedge if there's a back pick. Or pick off, he has to be able to get that angle. So, um, but what I was saying earlier is that at time when you go, when I go to places, most umpires, if you go somewhere for the first time, people automatically assume that you're new, and um, and mm-hmm. so sometimes you have to establish yourself. And I was new, I was new to that uh, opportunity. They never see, they never saw me before, so the assumption is, oh, he's just new, um, which is a good maybe. thing. I think it's a good thing. Sometimes it might bruise your ego. Or, but Leon talked about starting from zero and how maybe you get too comfortable and you go somewhere new. And even though you are Carlos Domo, maybe it's time sometimes where you, 
you got to prove yourself in ways that being a PSA umpire has long been gone. You don't have to prove yourself. You walk into the field, everybody knows you, but you go into new places and it just sharpens, it sharpens you up a little. You I go to imagine. new places and, 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 uh, you know, again, I, and I wanted that this season, right? Um, so a lot of my schedule, both wrestling and baseball, uh, really consists of going to new places and I want the plate. I want to establish this really quickly. You're going to know exactly who I am. You're going to know what I'm going to call. I'm going to call the whole strike zone, you know, hollow of the knee, bottom of the letters. Um, can't go wide. Uh, you know, uh, make sure that ball is touching that black and, and we're moving, you know. But, um, you know, a, you a, always get tested. On a breaking ball that slides from left to right, to me, if it's the catcher caught it and it, where he caught it was one baseball off the plate, that's a strike. Because that thing went through the plate. He's got to present it. He's got to hey, present it. Oh, of course, it. of course. The and I and I told the catcher he there was a pitch. It could have been a strike. It was low, but the borderlineness of it combined with the the catcher catching it underhand, not thumb down, thumb up. For everybody mm -hmm. listening, I ain't gonna call that. It's too borderline. And I wouldn't even at that level in one no tournament, G Dubs versus uh, John Jay. You know, I saw a, a pitch get called where the it went straight through the catcher. Mm -hmm. Was it a strike from my standing on the bases? Maybe. Sure. I think it was, but I, I don't know if I would have called it. If the catcher misses that, man, you got to – that's kind of like a, an out for you. It's like, oh, well, I, you got to do your job first, buddy. Mm -hmm. Who won <laughs> As, that game, by the way? Uh, uh, George Washington won 8-4. Uh, John Jay, they did all right. Good Threw two lefties at them. but So, yeah, George Washington, they won 8-4. John Jay, they had two lefties. They they hung around, but they, they got GW got that shortstop, Brian Mello. And let me tell you, man, did he hit he 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 bats lefty. He's a right hand, he's a shortstop, obviously. But the way that he hit this ball that was about three baseballs off the plate and pulled it. It, it went center field first, but the wind took it left. But I saw the wrist and the strength in that boy. And my goodness, it was impressive, man. He ran all the way around. I know people don't know GWs, but if he hit it far enough, and that I I, I joke with Nick Carbone every time we do ground rules, and I, every time a coach, I'm like, all right, get your pen out because there's a lot of rules. <laughs> the ground rules over there are a lot. So let's go with ejections. Uh, like I said, everybody's always interested in those and whether you learn from them, got passionate about it, everything in between. I personally, and I'll go first had my first high school level ejection, which comes with consequences in terms of payment and stuff like that and paperwork. It was on the softball side and won't drop names, but I will say teams. So if you look it up, then you care enough to care who it is, but it was a more, uh, it was Monroe versus Morris softball. And in fairness, they are not the level of the boys teams. They're very much, if there was an A division, whatever the next division lower, that's where and it fluctuates, though, because there's a long-time coaches and sometimes they have better teams than that. But regardless, for me, uh, full disclosure, I got to this game late. It was at Starlight Park, which for people in the Bronx, the, I shouldn't have taken the spot that was available. I was like, let me get closer. And unfortunately, that was it. I would have been five minutes early, which is still a little late in umpire terms. But because I missed that spot and the way that I had to do the U-turn, in West Farms, Bronx, 20 minutes passed. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, should I have taken that spot? 
So, but I know those teams well. Show up, nothing inconsequential happened. Like I said, it's that level of softball. The home plate guy, I'm confident he could handle on his own till I get there. But uh, I'm in the, the deep sea, which in two-man rotation and softball, which you have to stand behind the runner. So really deep. There was a play at first, runner on second, why I was in deep sea. And I, you can't run in because I can't let any runner get behind me. Mm -hmm. the, the girl from second, uh, I have to keep her in front of me. So I creep in as much as I can, make the call. I believe it was safe. Monroe coach wanted out. He was verbose in his reaction to it. But I'm choosing to think that he's mad that the shortstop didn't charge the ball. Because mm -hmm. in softball, if people don't understand that the field is, dimensions are they're the same for 12-year-olds as they are for Jenny Finch. It, it, so you got to be quick. And that's why the game is intrinsically quick in itself. There's no pitch clock needed in softball. So I made the safe call. And then like a, a play or two later, he, he was like, and Blue, come on, that was a horrible call. And I go, time. <laughs> and I'm like, Chris, what? And I go closer. And that's the only thing I said out loud for everybody here. And I get close to him. And he's like, yeah, man, that, that come on. You got you to gotta charge in. I'm like, Chris, I'm going to give you a warning. Don't tell me what to do, especially if what you're going to tell me what to do is not the right thing. Mm -hmm. Secondly, uh, and he also said, I have a right to, to voice my opinion. I was like, you absolutely have a right to voice your opinion. And I have a right to judge if that opinion is going against the code of that we've established between coach and umpire. That is not written down. But if you're going to talk about a judgment call that way and not challenge a rule, I'll give you a challenge or rule, but a judgment call and then challenge my positioning and not be right about either. Because I'm pretty sure that was I was right. Why I say pretty sure? Because based on the position, there could be a world where I was out of position and maybe a pulled foot or something else happened. But other than that, all the things that I had to do right to make the judgment, I did. And I threw him out because he said, but that call sucked. And he said it loud too. So I was like, all right, go. <laughs> so lo and behold, New York City, public parks, chaos that can happen. Luckily, he didn't leave the premises like he should, but he sat in his car. He was gone from eyesight. Soccer team shows up with a permit. Oh, my God. But they, they showed up at five for a permit that said they, they get, the coach was like, we, we were supposed to be at four. And I go up to him. I'm like, oh, let me see your permit. And the coach is antagonistic already. He's like, show me your permit. I'm like, I'm the umpire. I don't have a permit. I'm, I'm like, what are you doing here? Like, I, I'm just trying to uh, like introduce myself and tell you what's going on here and facilitate it. But if you want me to help you, fine. I go to assistant coach who had to run Monroe and stay with the home team. She texts him. He strolls back on the field. And when I tell him the problem, he's like, why should I help you? You threw me out. And I was like, coach, come on. Don't be that bitter. Just doing it for your team. Like, what are you talking about me? If these guys literally were pulling the soccer net on the goalie net. And in the middle of an inning, and my partner had had it, so I had to take control. <laughs> he was just done. He was just done. And it was one of those games that really questions, like, it's not like you're not good. It's just like, how, should I, you can't be judicious about your assignments, so you got to be fair, and you got to take the shit assignments with the good ones, too, sometimes. And I, told, I looked the soccer coach in the eye. I'm like, listen, man, 
I wouldn't usually do this because of your approach. I will guarantee you, if you don't let this baseball finish because this baseball game was here first and both your permits say the same thing, but you showed up at 5 o'clock claiming and w to have the field, we're in the fifth inning of a game that's out of reach and it's going to end soon on time limit no matter what. You figure it out because I will – and I did tell the coaches, don't – whatever happens, if they don't let you play, you don't let them play. Just stay on the field. And they eventually acquiesced the soccer team, and we got the to replay the rest of the game. And I let the coach of Monroe, you know, hide in the stands with a, a disguise, look with the fake nose and the, and the, the sunglasses. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, those are just situations where I I, I, I had to contact the PSAL director of uh, softball, and what was great too, and validating, and really, really. I didn't expect it. I did not expect. So I appreciate that when, when Don Gugliaro called me, shout out to the commissioner of PSAL softball. One thing that she said in the, the coach's report was all exactly the same story that I had, mm -hmm. but they both said, he's a good umpire. And no matter what, that they, she made it, she made it a thing to tell me that he's always a good umpire. And they didn't take anything personally. And Coach Monroe understood where he went wrong and the mistakes that he made. And that was great. And it was a moment where she, you know, in the PSA, if you get thrown out of a game, you lose pay for that game and you get suspended for the next game. So that's two days pay. And she was like, I'm only going to suspend it for that game. And it, if that's okay. Which she was like, of course that's okay with me. I, I, I would rather the rule be that way. So I don't have any beef with any other game that he – he does. I don't have beef with him at all. I, I did what was incumbent of me to do for the position that I'm in, not for Steven Batista. I don't care. I do not care. If he didn't insult me. I, my, I, can, I can live with my call. And even if I was wrong, it doesn't matter. So that was cool. And, and, and I attribute that to, to hard work. And I'll, I'll, I'll compliment myself on that. And I'll realize that that, that reputation even in that moment where it was conflict, that it was still recognized as like, oh, well, this guy is not out of line. So what's one of your stories? One of the stories I had was um, an injection where you had a runner on second, uh, one out, and on a one-two count, the batter swung, foul tip, caught by the catcher. Catcher makes a play at third, throws out the runner at third, and the inning is over. Well, the offensive coach, thought that, and he had, he claimed to had uh, some experience in the minor leagues. He didn't know that a foul tip that was caught was still a live ball. Oh boy. And so, so when you throw a runner out or if there's an interference, then the runner is going to be out as well. And so, yeah. So, you know, we explained this to him and he wouldn't let it go that it's still a live ball. He says a foul tip. Um, it's a foul. No, it's a foul tip that's caught. So upon yeah. talking to him, we and he kept telling us, okay, hey, Mr. You know, Mr. I, minor I, league experience too. Right? Yeah, yeah. So okay, look, that's your warning, go to your dugout. And so he wouldn't let it go. And so the you know, next inning, something happened, and we already had given him a warning, and he continued. I was like, Okay, all right, coach, you know, you're 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 gone. We ejected him, and um we had to um you know get him off the premises so that the team continue you know what level, what I don't, level, what level of baseball this is? was like a 16u 
16, 15, 16, I think it was 16U. But, you know, I think summer coaches can get a little unruly quickly. But, you know, it was just a shame that he he did, he did had minor league experience and didn't know that a caught foul tip is still a live ball. You know, I had I had for me, a, for me to you for me to you and for everybody here. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that he had that experience or was no, he... no. But even in the college game last week, we had uh, I was on a dish, similar situation, uh, except runner on runner on first uh, foul tip caught batter struck out on the foul tip and he was over the dish catcher made the throw and I immediately that's interference that's interference he's out. And um, no one said a peep because it was the correct rule. But in the parking lot, a parent came up to us politely and asked, hey, I thought that because it was a foul tip and it was caught that the runner goes back. Uh, no. it's that's And he really believed that in all his years. And sometimes, you know, sometimes parents don't know the rule. They just don't know the rules. And 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 that's okay. And, and, and I didn't take – I appreciate the parent wanted to get a clarification. Um, on that, and he never, he just and then he stabbed the you. Back. No, he didn't stab me, but interesting <laughs> enough, I think he had a few beverages of choice because we could smell it, and I'm like, and then he's dry, he leaves, okay, thank you, and gets in his car, so I'm like, wait, uh, he's really driving? Uh, and the game, the, the doubleheader began at like 11 in the morning, so either it was from last oh night, or he was just getting it, and he was getting it on with his beverage of choice while in the stands, for eleven o'clock in the morning, Sunday doubleheader. Anyway, let's hope he, let's hope he at least had a child, a, a kid in that game. You know, uh, like, games, you know what? I didn't see him leave with one of student athletes, but I think even so, that probably was probably safer, better. safer. You know, uh, but again, I, I don't really get too many ejections. I, I do have a system that I developed for me. Um, also, being six foot two and over two hundred and seventy something pounds and have can put a mean face pretty quickly can work for me but nowadays i really don't i try to keep the guys in the game so long as they keep it respectful you know we can have a conversation you know i you know by the way that was the second this week second time this week because that same situation interference strike three interference run out a second i had another collegiate game and the coach was cool and then in between the innings i was in the uh as we know we have the plate and we have the circle and that's the office. So I was in the office with, watching the warm-up that he says, you know, that throw did not, or, you know, it, my batter did not impede the throw. That's not the rule. That's not the rule. I gladly talk. That's not the rule. He, he interfered with over the dish. He has to maintain his position in the box, the box, including the bat. And he was clearly over. And so, yes, that's the rule. Tell, and then he I, walked away. I tell, and especially lower level, uh, so a lot of batters, uh, they understand that being in the box kind of is better to impede the catcher's throw more than anything else because they have to swim around them depending on what base that they're throwing at and positioning left-handed batter, right-handed batter. You know, and you just stand there and the catcher has to make an extra move to get around you. Or they'll they'll crouch down, but I always call it a safe space. Like I tell batter, that's you move out of there, then you're asking for trouble because you're expected to be there. And that's just like, you can word it in the rules, uh, uh, verbatim by the rules, and you can just plead to the logic of the fact that that the batter was there. This is the, usually where they're supposed to be, and if there's a steal, and that's where they were originally, the interference comes with any extra move that they move out of. And and when you explain it that way, 
I don't know how stupid you have to be to not accept it. <laughs> like, like yep, really. Yep. But sometimes catchers, and this is where you got to watch the whole play. Sometimes the catchers will go and bump the batter in the box. And you got to be like, that's nothing. That's oh, yeah. nothing. Oh, of course. You know, be- be- positionally, because that's where they, how could they interfere if they never moved? <laughs> you know, like that's where they were. Where would they go? And that's another, I had, I had to go, okay. Where do you want them to go? Where do you expect them to go? Do you want them to move competitionally? Why would he move in a way for the catcher to get a better throw? Just stay there and let the catcher skillfully do his job. Yeah, second is one thing, right? Third is another. Third we is can another, go though. back and forth. Right, yeah, so let's are, just let, let's skip that too. one because we're going to be back and forth on yeah, that. Yeah. But second oh. is one thing, third is another. But anyway, that's what I wanted to share with you that right. – you know, that experience um, and, and uh, led to an ejection. And I don't really have many ejections this day. And, yeah. You know. I probably would have put it up there because I'm sure we have low-level ejections. But as far as high-level ejections, it's a matter of uh, knowledge and consequence. Coaches have more knowledge, consequence more dire. So you get less of them. Uh, you know, coaches not Sometimes, take by the way, coaches have had this said to me a number of times, say – I want to get throw me out the game because I got to get my team fired up or do something to get thrown out to fire up the oh, team. Oh, oh, absolutely. Well, I remember one time at Domination, coach came up to me. He's like, "If I don't come up to you, I'm gonna get a thousand emails from parents. So please, just <laughs> let's let's act like there's some contention here, and you know, I settled what you call, but at least that I that I went out there, and even though he completely agreed with it, and I was like, "Oh yeah, man, I I get that. That's cool, and that's that's osmosis. Those are things that." I hope this uh, beyond the rules and hearing this and humanizing us and 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 not only understand I think people forget that people always understand that we are just people, but in those positions you get it, it's sort of like being in traffic where you forget that the other people around you are also mm-hmm. human beings in cars because mm-hmm. you have this frenetic uh, lens that closes you off while being umpires. You're both expected to be out of the car and see the whole things, mm-hmm. but at the same time getting honked at for whatever reason. And, and and managing that is tough, and it comes with discipline. And it, I feel better about talking these things out with you and cathartic in a way where we we can share in these things and grow from it and and laugh about it and and talk shop. Absolutely, as, as the title goes. So, Carlos, I hope you had a good time. Let's do this again, and I hope we uh, we could get more guests and maybe make this a little roundtable with some of our our chapter buddies from either PSAL or wrestling and, and down the line and, and make this sort of like a little powwow. Absolutely. Hey, before we go, what you think about WWE WrestleMania? Ooh, look at you setting me up. <laughs> <laughs> Cody should have won. I'm living die with that. I, I'm not even a big Cody fan, but fuck, I want time. that storyline. Okay. You know, you, not his time. I, I, he just I, got back into the WWE. He's got to wait. Listen, I'm just worried about uh, Vincente Mick Rodriguez over here with the with the beard, <laughs> while, rumbling his way back into the gorilla position, making the shots when uh, calls and shots with Triple H has been killing it, and I'm okay with uh, storyline and and movies like Godfather ending in a non conclusive way, but that buttons up a chapter of a book or. And there's another thing, and 
Cody did headline WrestleMania. You can't take that away from him. If he gets the title down the line, cool. But if he doesn't get the title, then I will be disappointed for the story. I don't care about Cody in that way. He's not one of my favorites. I, I do appreciate him. I have a hard time having the same favorites that I did now as a kid. Uh, one in a couple of months, uh, should I say a couple of months, a couple of weeks rather, I'm going to take me and Nico, my little two-year-old, we're going to strap up and uh, go see Bret Hart. And I signed up for the the, the Excellence of Execution package. Wow. And I'm sign glasses and put them on my son. That's going to be real cool. Oh, man. So I can't wait for that. So what are your thoughts on WrestleMania real quick? Well, we have look, a, I, a couple minutes. Yeah, yeah. Look, WrestleMania both days were amazing. It's It was interesting that day one, the titles changed hands. Day two, you know. But tag match, I got most important tag match in WWE history. Was oh, oh, I was hurt amazing. that Usos lost. I'm sorry. Because... Oh. Uh, but um, I think they're going to get it back. I thought, you know, both days were absolutely amazing. And just, you know, when they're doing their finishing moves and not getting the pin, I mean, I, I was, I thought it was really good. I love the storyline. Like right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right? I think it's going to get better and better and better. So, um, yes, I, I did. I, I did like and I do like, you know, the whole storyline with the bloodlines um, and uh well, yeah, I think going, Charlotte, man. yeah, oh, that, and Charlotte that was, Flair. That was one of the best matches, women's matches of all time. Might be. Yeah, yeah. That match was. I'm gonna finish. I was watching with my son. He's amazing. Wait, rewatching it, or you're yeah. watching? These no, I'm gonna. I was. I, I, re, I was rewatching it. He was watching yeah. it for the first time because okay. But uh, and he, yeah. he loves wrestling, and yeah, it was amazing. And one thing for I know all the people who are still with us because as soon as we set pro wrestling, I'm sure everybody tuned out. But <laughs> for everybody who's still here with us. And they still are understanding what we're talking about, man. It hasn't been hasn't been like this in a while where we feel like kids, and watching it in a way where I'm actually excited. So it's cool that we could share in that. And uh, my man Carlos, let's do this again. Oh, we will do this again. Talking shop with my man, the handsome Honduran Carlos Domo. <laughs> Have Thank a good you. day, man. Talk to you later. Take care. Take care. Uh,